Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. We pray that God speaks to you during this message and that he moves in your life. You know, um, so I want to, what I want to do today is I want to, I just want to, revi- you know, just kind of revisit a few things that I shared, I think a couple of weeks ago, I started on this, <clears throat> on this idea of um, David and Goliath. And if you've been, um, if you've been kind of on the journey with us over the last several weeks, um, we talked about how the, the ecclesia is really, uh, for, I'm just thinking that there might be some new people who are very, maybe very unfamiliar with it. I don't want to have to revisit all of it just to say that in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, uh, you know, upon the confession that he's the Christ, um, I'm going to build my church. And the word there is ecclesia, and it doesn't mean a, it doesn't mean a gathering, so to speak. It actually is what, it's a legislative assembly. And uh, cities were governed by uh, ecclesias. Ecclesia was actually form, formed about 400, 350 BC. And it was actually instituted by the Greek culture when Greece was in power. And then when Rome became in power, defeated Greece, they actually kept ecclesias. Ecclesias were actually ways that uh, a body or a group of people governed cities in legislated cities. And so when Jesus was talking about an ecclesia, he wasn't talking about a synagogue. He wasn't talking about buildings. He was talking about legislating. He was talking about legislating against what exactly? It says, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the ecclesia. And so, so that, that kind of forms our functional identity. It forms like what we're supposed to do. And so for many, many hundreds of years, we have been uh, we've had this kind of role where church is really more about attendance and more about chairs and more about air conditioning and, well, maybe recently air conditioning and whether the pro presenter is working or whether, you know, these kinds of things. And it was really never part of Christ, even though those are all good things. Uh, the really foundation of what Jesus was mentioning was that the kingdom of God, which is the governing the governing part of who he is, what he does, because it says in Isaiah 9, 6 that, you know, he, used, he was coming and he has a government on his shoulders. So Jesus brought his government, which is the kingdom, and he says, repent, um, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is an expression of his kingdom reign and authority uh, for, the, for the three years that he was on the planet. So we see we see signs, we see miracles, we see healing, we see all the things that Jesus did was an expression of his kingdom because he's the king of his kingdom. He's the king of kings, right? He's the king of his kingdom. And so we're learning this, what this, this, this whole thing means in, in light of what's actually happening today on the earth. I mean, on the earth, not just here in the United States but on the earth. And so it, it has been very, uh, for many people, it's been very uncomfortable. Uh, for the church, it's been very uncomfortable um, in the sense of God is restructuring so many things in, in his kingdom, in houses of worship. And it's, it's, it's uh, all the measurements that we have, um, that we deemed 
uh, valuable or we, we deem practical, those are all been kind of stripped away, haven't they? And um, how we measure things, how we measure our success, how we measure, and it's been very uncomfortable, even, even though we've been running with this thing for three or four years, I've, I've felt in, very uncomfortable with the things that are, like we're having to do, you know? And, but in the light of that, we have to be seeing what God is doing in the middle of all of this. And we have to be looking at what is heaven saying and what is heaven doing, and that's just wisdom. You know, I can get upset about this but, and stay upset, and I could be in the corner of being upset in the room of I'm upset, right? <laughs> Can't we, we all been in that room, right? The room of I'm upset, and, and, the, and the, idea, the thing is is that we have to make sure that we're actually in the throne room, if I can say that, hearing what God is saying in the midst of all that's happening here. So heaven is not uh, caught off guard or unaware. And it, it'd, be, it'd be wise for us to really, we talked about the first part of this shelter in place, is really getting in this place where we're with God hearing his voice. Can I submit to you that never changes? Being with God and hearing his voice and running with John 15, which is really an anchor chapter for us, is really the heart of the gospel. It's hearing what the Father is saying and responding to it. And so I have to be willing to be molded. I have to be willing to, you know, when you talk about molding me, sometimes it's, you feel like, oh, God, that's really uncomfortable. You know, but I, I have to be willing to be molded by the Holy Spirit in this season. His, um, his values don't change. His laws don't change. The Spirit of God doesn't change. The anointing doesn't change. There are things that, that do not change and will never change in spite of what's happening in culture. And so the Lord is, is raising up, I believe, Davids in this season who are not going to put on the armor of tradition, putting on armor that just doesn't fit in order to slay Goliath. <clears throat> and so we have to be, you know, for, for some of us, we want to keep the armor on. We're just not going to be mobile. We're, David wasn't used to the armor that Saul put on him. David knew that the armor that came upon him, though he tried to wear it, would actually slow him down and hinder him in battle. We have to be ready for God to say and for God to do and direct us into new ways of warfare. His principles never change. But his ways, in terms of how we do things, can. We need to be open. Say, I'm open. All right, so there's, so there's David. David is, David is running to the battle. He's serving his father. He's doing what his father is telling him to do. And he actually, and you guys caught this several months. I don't even, I can't even remember. Several weeks, several months, whatever it was, ago. Um, and he goes and he, he, confronts, he confronts Goliath with just a, a sling and five stones. 
Now, the point I made to you a couple weeks ago where I felt like the Lord kind of highlighted was actually in 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. I don't want to park here for for the whole time, but I just want to park here for a moment. And so it says there in 1 Samuel 17, 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. So first of all, we talked about the smooth stones. They weren't jagged stones and we, we know that stones, stones become smooth through constant irritation. <laughs> of the water that actually forms a a smooth stone from a jagged stone. So there are things that the the water continues to draw out of that stone to actually make it pliable to be used in battle. These were mature stones. I'll just say that. They were mature stones. They were used by David. And actually the slingshot, the sling that we had actually, Wendy and I had a chance of going to Israel and, and trying to be David because they actually gave us a sling like David. And so they, this, is the, this is the sling, and he defines it, and he says, okay, now your turn to try it. So they took us to, the, to this dry riverbed where actually they think that's where David grabbed his stones, and those stones were still there. And so we grabbed our stone and embarrassed ourselves for 10 minutes trying to sling the, the stone, you know. So, so we had this picture that there's Goliath. He's nine feet, you know, nine inches tall, and we're like this, and rocks are dropping out. And, you know, we're like, hey, clear it, you guys. I don't know what's going to happen right now, you know, because I could sling this thing, and it could hit you, and you're not Goliath. And I, anyway. But the stones had to be smooth stones, which is a sign of maturity. And... And what I want to draw our attention to in just a moment is that, that he pulled those stones. He put those stones in a shepherd's bag. He didn't put them in a political bag. He didn't put them in a religious bag. He put them in a shepherd's bag. And we have to, we have to understand that, that we're here to shepherd. We're called to be called to say pastor, I'll just use that word, but whether you're, whether you're a business owner, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're working in the tech industry, whether you're working in the blue collar industry, regardless of where the Lord has assigned you, you carry a shepherd's bag. And the temptation would be to actually harness yourself with a political bag. Or to harness yourself with a religious bag. Because Jesus said this. Remember the story when they crossed the lake and they came to the other side and Jesus says, hey, uh, be, be aware of the, the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. It's the same principle. In other words, the tension that we face is how do we carry a shepherd's bag into a political environment? Or how do we carry a shepherd's bag into a religious environment? And it could be confusing. We need wisdom. If there's any time that we need the gift of discernment, it's now. 
And the gift of discernment, discerning of the spirits, the discernment is actually a gift from the Spirit of God to the children of God. And so if you're reading a post or you're reading something on this social media, that social media, the constant prayer for us is, Lord, give me discernment. Because my flesh right now might be rising up. Give me discernment in the middle of this as sons and daughters who actually are called to inherit the earth. So it's, it's, the, it's the shepherd's bag that we carry wherever we go, and the stones that we put in, those, in that shepherd's bag need to reflect the Word of God. In other words, I can't throw, I can't throw in a shepherd's bag a political stone. Are you guys all right? I can't put in a... What stones are actually in a shepherd's bag? What is it? What's the higher call that we're, we're called to? Am I saying don't be involved in the, the mountain of government? Absolutely not. We need more believers there, if anything. But if we get caught into positioning ourselves as as believers, if we step into that government mountain with something other than a shepherd's bag, then we're actually going to miss our kingdom influence in that mountain. Does that make sense? When I talk about mountain, you can talk about spheres of influence, whether it's art and entertainment, whether it's family, whether it's Hollywood, regardless, what kind of bag are we carrying? Because what will happen is that if we strap a different bag over us, then we get caught into the the onslaught of what that all, I don't know, what all that means and what all that's doing and how we get all confused and we got to be able to carry the values of the kingdom in the bag that God has assigned us with. And every believer has a shepherd's bag. So how do we shepherd our nation? How do we shepherd our state? These are good questions, aren't they? Are we salt and light? Well, we know we can declare it, but how are we living it? And so that's kind of what I, I shared a couple weeks ago, and it still challenges me. Because I find myself reaching in to a bag to throw something, <laughs> and I look at it and I say, ah, that's not really from the kingdom right there. <laughs> that is from Greg Seamus. <laughs> so, Lord, I pray that you would give the body of Christ wisdom. Wisdom. Just receive, just, I want you just to receive the wisdom of the Lord right now. Just to say, I receive the wisdom of the Lord right now. Just to ask him. To see, you guys are just as much ministers as I am. In fact, if, when I'm talking to you, I want to know about your ministry. And you might ask me a question about 
my ministry. It's all his ministry. But it's still, it's God's assignment for you where God has planted you. And you don't see the bag that you carry because Jesus is in your heart and he rules and reigns there. Wendy and I have had some very lively discussions. Do you know what I mean by lively? Can I just be transparent? I don't agree with everything that's going on. It's confusing. Statistics go either way. It's crazy. We're in election year. I understand crazy in an election year. I'm in the world, but not part of it. How I respond to what's happening around me, not only as a man or as a citizen, but as a, as a pastor and a leader, has significance and impact in the people that I'm leading and in the people that are, say, governing over me. Kind of hard to figure it all out, isn't there? And I just want to make sure that we keep, among everything else, keep the plain things the main things. Keep the plain things the main things. You guys are so, you guys all right? Maybe you're wondering, where is he going? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. I think the first thing that I felt like the Lord is really, maybe you guys have kind of passed over this part of it maybe months ago, but the thing that's really come to light to me, and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, I don't even remember, last week, is that only Jesus can change a heart. You can legislate behavior. You cannot legislate the heart. You can legislate, whoever said it, say it again, I don't know what that means. You can legislate, my voice is cracked. You can legislate behavior, but you cannot legislate the heart. Only Jesus can. Unsaved people will do unsafe things. Unsaved people will set policy that is not wrapped in the Word of God because they don't know Jesus. But if we try and cram kingdom legislation without going after the person's heart, you're going to be met with roadblocks and resistance. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just saying let's make sure we keep the priorities straight and we actually pray that people will come into the knowledge and the fullness of their salvation, that's Christ. Let's make sure that what we're saying is we're communicating the love of God, but we're going after the heart of men and women to actually bring them to a Savior who actually does the transformation. 
We're going to run out of gas or energy if we keep on plowing on this, this action or, you know, this bill or all these kinds of things without first going after their heart. What's my prayer? That people that are setting policy that are contrary to the Word of God would have a Saul encounter on the Damascus Road. That's a legal prayer. Father, that you would visit them in the middle of the night. God, that they would come to this place, not about changing policy, so to speak, but that they would actually encounter the real Jesus. The one that's transformed my heart and has transformed yours. And the things before, when I got saved at the age of 16, no one threw a rule book at me and said, follow this. When I got saved, everything changed. How I viewed life changed. My behavior changed. The culture inside of me rat changed. I can understand it now because I'm in ministry, been saved for a long time. I'm not going to tell you because then you add it up. Been saved for a long time, and I, I, could, I could explain it to you theologically, but at 16 years old, you don't, have, you don't know nothing really. You think you do. You think you know everything at 16. So I would encourage you, it's, it's a day to get back to the basics of leading people to Jesus. Though that's never changed, we can get caught up and talk about pre-tribulation and post-millennial and all this stuff theologically, which I'm not saying is wrong. I'm just saying that are we leading people to Christ? That's a... That's kind of a tough question, or not even a tough question. That's a, that's, a, that's, a hard, that's a hard swallow, if I can say that. In other words, am I more focused on the policies of a nation than actually praying for the salvation and encountering people who might not know the Lord and sharing my faith? It's time for us to share our faith again. And never be ashamed of it either. What I'm finding out is that people are now more open to the gospel than ever before. If anybody needs hope, it's people who don't know the Lord. And we got to understand that that the Holy Spirit is working with us in this season. I said this last week, and um, I got an amazing text from some, one of our uh, people that are part of our Convergence family saying that they led their niece to the Lord. I don't know if it was the night before or whatever, led, led their niece to the Lord, and it's just like, man, it was really so confirming for her. I remember years ago, sidebar, <laughs> there was a discussion about, oh man, it was, I can't, I won't go into detail. I'll just remember, 
this conversation. It was an argument. This is in the house. It wasn't a conversation. This one guy was trying to correct this, this evangelist's behavior because he was raw, untethered. And I remember, like, he was trying to correct the behavior, and this guy kept on saying, well, how many people have you led to the Lord this year? And he was trying to correct the behavior, and it's like, how many people have you led to Jesus this past year? And the person, whether this person was wrong or that person was wrong, I just remember the argument. And the person that was trying to create the behavioral change in this person could not answer the question because he hadn't. Do you know that 85% of believers never lead people to Jesus? That means 15% do all the work in leading people to the Lord. So let's pray for a harvest. Let's pray that, that in love, God opens divine doors for you, no matter how timid you are, to share your faith. And your faith is very, just share your testimony. This is what Jesus did for me. And don't back down from it. Share it. Amen? Okay. Are you guys all right? Okay, a few more minutes. So only Jesus can change the heart. That's the heart of our nation. Only Jesus can change the heart. Legislation's not bad. Legislation's good. Kingdom legislation's way better. But Jesus is the one who changes the heart. So let's believe God for people to come to Christ. Let's serve them well. Let's love them well. Let's be Jesus to people. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say amen. So what I want us to do in the, in the next five minutes is I want us to turn to Luke chapter 10. And I just want us to, I just want to focus on one word. Whoops, one word here. I almost dropped my iPad. Glory to God. That would have been tragic. Luke chapter 10, you guys there? And I do, I do, uh, I do love all kinds of Bibles. I'm kind of a Bible fanatic kind of guy. And so, and I do love apps. And di- Anyone like di- digital stuff? Put your hand up if you do. So I'm speaking to, I, we are in the Silicon Valley, right? So this is very cool. Let me just do a, this is the ESV digital scripture. You see that? It's on an app called GoodNotes. Sorry about the commercial. And so it's the whole ESV Bible, ESV Bible, and then there's, you can just put notes on it. You can erase it and all kinds of things. So that's what I'm reading to you from. Is that all right? It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Don't go download the app right now. Don't go searching for it. Just stay with me. You could do that later, all right? Let's go ahead in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You never really put Jesus to the test, but he tried. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, 
You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God, love others. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers or thieves who stripped him and beat him and departed from him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. That's the priest. The priest is the one who makes sacrifices. It's the highest level of the presence, going into the presence of God, right? It's the priest. So likewise, a Levite, a Levite was the person who actually took care of the temple. So they're the ones, they were the gatekeepers and all that. So priest sees him, he passes on the other side. In other words, I don't want to touch this guy. He's half dead, I don't want to be bothered with him. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. So there's a Levite representing the goodness of God, representing God himself. He sees him and says, you know, I don't have time for this, passes him on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That's where I want to kind of land. If anyone had any right or even any political right to pass up this guy, it was the Samaritan. Samaritan was, according to Jewish culture, uh, the Samaritan was despised. Samaritans were looked down upon. They were low class. And Jesus uses the, a story of the Samaritan to help the person that had been beaten half to death. And here's the key word, that he had compassion. Everyone say compassion. He had compassion. Compassion is the strong desire to take action and alleviate the suffering of what you actually witness. Compassion is a strong desire to take action and alleviate the suffering you witness. Compassion is the strong desire to take action and alleviate the suffering that you actually witness, that you actually see. Compassion moves our hearts. Mercy moves our hands. The Lord spoke to me a couple weeks ago, and you know how the Lord lovingly can nudge you and then sometimes he can throw a sledgehammer on you? Well, I had the sledgehammer of the Lord. And he hit hard this whole idea of compassion. The Samaritan lays down culture and picks up the kingdom. We have to be men and women, uh, I'll just say the body of Christ, sons and daughters of God, who are moved with compassion. I mean stirred with God's heart. We live in a culture that is orphaned. They're separated from their father. We have a fatherless Many in our nation 
spiritually fatherless, and many who are naturally fatherless. And I asked the Lord, I said, I I can get really rowdy because I'm a very justice-centric person. Am I I speaking to anybody in the room? Very justice. That's the part of me. I'm like, abortion, no. Like, let's get tape. Let's stand in line. Let's pray. You know, this kind of stuff like that. That's and I could, have, I could actually have zeal around a principle without compassion in my heart. Because I can focus on the principle without compassion. Because the principle is enough for me. But Jesus often moved with compassion. In other words, I think it was Charles Price who said... Or, I think his last name was, he's a great healing evangelist. He said, the number, if you want to move in the gift of healing, the number one thing you need to have is compassion. Not just to see someone healed, not to see just to advance the kingdom, but to actually have this, this thing called compassion that when you, you step by somebody, something is so triggered inside of your heart that you must act, that you cannot pass that person by, that you have to make an investment in this person who's laying half dead, and literally our nation could be half dead, and and we have religious people who are indifferent, and we can walk right past it and not have, because they don't have compassion, something that's not moving their heart, they know what the right thing to do is, but they're not doing it because there's no movement in their heart to do it. So what we'll do is we'll just walk right past. We'll condemn it. Oh, poor guy, poor this. But compassion moves the heart to action. And Jesus says, who is the neighbor? Who's the neighbor? The person who had compassion that led to mercy. Does compassion do away with God's principles? No. Jesus never compromised the values of the kingdom because he had a compassionate heart. Are you guys okay? I know we have a smaller crowd, but it's quiet. I heard this years ago. And I wrote it down and I'm going to feel it's, it's really, the Lord just kind of, you know how you just think of things like, wow, I haven't thought about that in a long time. We don't have a hate problem, we have a love problem. The Samaritan, it says in Scripture, the Samaritan went to him. The Samaritan bandaged his wounds, and the Samaritan personally took care of him. Compassion is messy. Mercy is messy, but it's right. I think people are afraid that if they have compassion, they have to surrender values. That's not true. People feel like 
If they have compassion, they surrender mercy. Mercy is the biblical expression of and practical expression of compassion. So do we have compassion for those who don't know Jesus? Or we're so filled with righteous indignation that we neglect compassion? Because I could do that. I could be righteously indignant about something and my heart is not filled with compassion for maybe what that person has gone through, why that person is even there, and the intercession to say, God, come in to that heart and invade those places of pain that's causing them to rise up like this. Are we sowing our intercession into the heart of believers, our unbelievers, into a heart of a lost culture, asking that the kingdom of God would actually come, that the love of God would come to invade the heart that's been broken, that's been orphaned, that has been betrayed, and all these other things that we can list this morning, this afternoon now, and we're not praying towards those end. We're just fighting righteously. And I'm not even saying fighting righteously is wrong. I'm just saying that don't fight righteously without compassion. This compassion is what moves the heart of God. It's an expression of the love of God. Compassion moves you to bandage that wound with oil and wine. Being religious just creates an indifference. And I hope you hear my heart this morning. Oh, this afternoon. What if everybody had compassion toward everybody else? Verse 35, and the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these Jesus is, you know how Jesus can ask straight up questions? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And he said, the one who showed, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. I'm asking the Lord to give me his heart to those who are in authority over me, to those who are making sweeping decisions. I'm asking the Lord, can you reveal your heart for that individual? Say it's a mayor, say it's a governor, say it's whatever. Say it it, it could be a leader of an evil organization. I can jump over here and just lambast, boom, boom, like I can. I have the potential to do that. I'm a father, I have children. Like, 
I, I got I to gotta start here. Give me your heart for this person. I, I got to know what you're feeling about this person because you died for him just as much as you died for me. I just responded. I want us to be praying this week for God to give us his compassion for the people who actually lead us. I'm not saying that we don't, we don't pray for righteousness. Hear me. We pray for righteousness. We pray that God would heal our land. Heal our land. God's not going to just heal. Land. He has to heal people. Are you carriers of the compassion of God and the mercy of God? Are you, are you allowing that to be demonstrated on your social media pages? Are people drawn to what you post in social media as a compassionate person who actually has the heart of God and they're drawn to it? We're living in days we haven't walked before as a nation. Can I just be transparent? So we're trying to figure that out too. So there's tons of grace for every single person in this room. So everyone say grace, grace, grace. There's great grace for all of us in this room. You know what? And we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say, oh my gosh, I don't know why I posted that or I don't know why I said that. I don't, you know, all these kinds of things that we have to be compassionate, we have to be merciful, we have to forgive each other. We should never break rank as, a king, as the kingdom kids. God's kingdom should never break rank. You stay tight, you stay focused, you stay together. You forgive each other. You're intentional about that. Not everyone's going to see it my way. I wish they did. So let's have patience and love for one another. I, I, think, I think really the, I'm going to wrap it up here. In fact, I'm just going to have you stand so it forces me to wrap it up. So yeah, please do. Where are we going? Where are we going with all this? No, it's pretty unchartered. But I do know what that song says, and I do know Scripture. Every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you could be as defiant as ever. You can shake your fists at God, and God will give you the very breath to do it. But there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's the Lord. He is the Lord. And I don't think he'll be angry and vindictive. And I just think that you'll get into his presence. You'll feel the love of God and you'll just fall to your knees. 
So this, this week, I think my, my word of encouragement this week to you, first of all, let's ask the Father for compassion, the same compassion that he gave his son, Jesus, as he brought the kingdom. And that we be people who express and, and show mercy without compromise. And that's the trick. Several weeks ago in staff, I told, I told our, our team, it's like, we have to be meek. And that turned into a whole conversation. What's meek? Because it says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Meek is not weak. Meek is strength restrained. And sometimes the greatest thing you can do is restrain your strength. You really might want to say this, but the meek person goes to heaven and says, should I say this? You ever have those talks with yourself? I really want to post this. You don't want to understand how much it... Meekness. Meekness. I don't know where... I got to make sure I get that. I'm thinking, do I, do I have that verse right? I think I do. You know what's crazy is I can't even find it, and I know I wrote it. That's insane. Anyway, now it's bothering me that I can't find it. Anyway, I think that's where it's at. Just read the Beatitudes. Sometimes wisdom is saying less and not more. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm not saying don't speak. I'm just saying let's be people who are governed by wisdom, discernment, compassion, and mercy. We can all, those are all kingdom principles. We can all say amen to that. So, Father, as we wrap things up today, Remind us again that your heart was moved with compassion for really an orphaned culture. People who have no connection to their heavenly father, the source of life. And they're just responding out of their own agendas, their own pain, their own hurt. They're functioning out of places where they've been betrayed and hurt people. And yes, even, they can even be hateful. But Lord, no infant has, was ever hate, hateful coming out of the womb. Life happens to us. And we become seared. We become hurt. And we respond accordingly. God, I pray for a, a revelation, a breakthrough in our nation. Let's just take a moment and pray for our nation. Come on, like... We just pray for our nation. We pray for every organization. We pray for, of course, we want to pray for our president, those that are at the higher levels of authority. We want to pray for our governors. and Lord, we want to pray for our, our city mayors. And we just pray, Lord, that, that righteousness will rule our land. God, that there will be a place where they come into this encounter with a loving Father who cares for them, that Jesus would be the center of their life like we sang about. Lord, I pray that that people will come to know Christ. God, I pray for dreams to be released. I pray, God, that, 
that dreams in the night encounters, I pray that you would use your ecclesia throughout this throughout the week, Lord God, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know. Father, I pray that we don't get caught up into, a, into the political spirit or the religious spirit, God, that we actually carry these shepherd bags in the spirit. And God, we have stones like love that we toss, like compassion, like those are the stones that we wield from the shepherd's bag that actually destroys and, dis- and slays Goliath. And Father, I pray that you would give us grace for one another. Lord, we're these uncharted waters. May we love each other unconditionally. May we forgive each other wholeheartedly. May we have compassion for and with one another as we extend the mercy of God into our cities. In the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening. For more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. God bless.